0: It's Friday, July 22nd. I'm Pam Jones. While the sun has set on night three after Maryland's primary and many races are still up in the air, But several news outlets are projecting nonprofit exec and Rhodes Scholar Wes Moore as the winner of the Democratic contest. But that's not official. Elections boards across Maryland are busily counting hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots received. So it'll be a few more days at least before final outcomes are known. Maryland's GOP establishment is left wondering what to make of Dan Cox's near-certain primary victory. And if you didn't notice, there's a heat wave gripping Maryland and much of the country. Some city parents are already turning their attention to the upcoming school year and the headaches they'll face with new start times. And we'll get a check in with Dr. Lena Wen on monkeypox and the BA5 COVID variant. It's the Daily Dose from WIPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID 19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Multiple TV networks have declared former nonprofit executive Wes Moore the winner of the Democratic primary contest for governor. But the Associated Press has not called the race, and Moore has not declared victory. Former Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez, who is in second place, has also not conceded. According to an unofficial tally by the State Board of Elections just after 1 o'clock today, about 30,000 votes separated him and more. The likely third-place finisher, Comptroller Peter Franchot, conceded Friday afternoon. Elections boards across Maryland began counting mail-in ballots Thursday. Close contest in Democratic primaries for governor and state's attorney in Baltimore City and Baltimore County will be determined by those mail-in ballots. WYPR's John Lee reports about 6,600 ballots were scanned and counted yesterday in Baltimore County.
1: They fired up the scanner at county elections headquarters for the first time Thursday to count mail-in ballots 25 at a time. Before a ballot gets to a scanner, it's taken out of its envelope and inspected by bipartisan teams. Elections board attorney Drew Bailey says they're making sure the ballot is scanner-worthy.
2: If there's an obvious, if somebody spilled their coffee on it, uh, on the kitchen table when they filled out their ballot, I mean, and that happens, if it's uh, clearly just a problem that would be with the thing physically being read through the scanner, the teams can remake that ballot themselves.
1: County Elections Director Rui Lavoie hopes to scan as many as 8,000 ballots a day with a goal of finishing by next Friday. John Lee, WIPR News.
0: The latest COVID numbers from the State Health Department in Maryland show an over 10% positivity rate, something not seen since earlier this year. In the last 24 hours, Maryland has seen another 1,729 new cases of the virus and 574 hospitalizations. Eight more deaths have been reported due to complications from COVID. The White House doc says President Biden's COVID-19 symptoms have improved. In an update, Friday afternoon, Biden's physician said he has taken additional medications to address his temperature and cough. The president, who had asthma when he was younger, is being treated with an albuterol inhaler that he reportedly uses as needed. He is working while isolating on the second floor of the White House. Baltimore is in the midst of an extreme heat wave with temperatures forecasted to be in the mid-90s until Monday night. Exposure to high temperatures can cause illness and even death. WIPR's Bethany Raja with that story.
3: Dr. Clifford Mitchell is the Director of Environmental Health for the State Department of Health. He said in general our bodies are designed to work at an internal temperature range between 98 and 99 degrees. But when extreme external heat pushes those temperatures higher, it could be life threatening.
2: As the body loses its, its ability to maintain its, reg, its own uh, temperature, um, you initially obviously start to sweat, your body tries to cool off. Uh, but as heat, you're at some point or other, you overwhelm the body's system that controls the internal temperature.
3: Heat-related symptoms can include confusion, lightheadedness, and feeling sick to your stomach. There are multiple cooling centers around Baltimore City for those who need them. Bethany Raja, WYPR News. State environmental regulators
0: handed down air quality violations to CSX Transportation this week for an explosion at its coal pier in Curtis Bay nearly seven months ago. CSX could face fines of up to $25,000 per day from the Maryland Department of the Environment for air pollution related to the smoke from the explosion. CSX said it's working with state and federal regulators to remedy the issues and that the coal pier serves power plants in the region to provide electricity. Curtis Bay neighbors want reimbursement for damage to their homes from the incident, but have been unable to connect with the company. The victories in Tuesday's GOP primaries of Delegate Dan Cox, a Donald Trump acolyte who believes the 2020 presidential election was stolen, and Michael Perutka, a former member of the League of the South, have rattled Maryland's more traditional Republicans. And as WIPR's Joel McCord reports left them searching for strategy.
2: In her speech to supporters Tuesday night, Kelly Schultz, Governor Larry Hogan's choice to succeed him, vowed to keep fighting, even though some outlets were calling the race for Cox.
0: I have fought for everything in my life that I have ever had, and I am not going to stop fighting for this for each and every one of you.
2: And she called up the memory of Republican icons.
0: My Republican Party is the party of Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan. And John McCain. And that is exactly the party that I will continue. To fight for.
2: But it could be difficult to keep fighting when, at last count, more than 54% of the members of your party chose Cox, who organized a bus caravan to the January 6th Stop the Steel rally, as their candidate for governor. And an even larger percentage chose a retired debt collection attorney who once promoted Southern secession for state attorney general. Brian Griffiths, who writes the conservative blog Duckpin, fired off an email to his subscribers after Cox's projected victory saying he was quitting the party. He says he almost did so after Trump won the GOP nomination in 2016, but he stuck it out because he liked the way things were going in Maryland. Cox was the straw that broke the camel's back. It's not just Cox though, it's the, uh, you know, per Cox, the central committees you know, kind of everybody up and down the ballot who is a wackadoodle who won. He says it will take years for the party to right itself, and the first step would be to make sure Cox is defeated in the general election. Walking away from conspiracies and, and Trump and Trumpism and words like jab and, you know, opposition to mask mandates and Calling people crazy things, and talk, calling people groomers, and this, that, and the other thing would be a good start. Governor Hogan says many people throughout the country are quitting political parties and becoming independents, but not him. And he echoed Schultz's comments from Tuesday night. I'm a lifelong Republican, and uh, you know, just because uh, they're attempting a hostile takeover, I'm going to continue to fight for the party of reagan and lincoln not that he'll support cox who he calls a QAnon whack job
0: i i don't think he has any business being a nominee and he has no chance to win the race whatsoever
2: senator chris west a baltimore county republican was more philosophical we always have contests between uh, people who are more more conservative on one hand people are less conservative on the other and sometimes the one side wins and sometimes the other side wins this time the other side won Uh, the side that I don't consider myself to be a member of. He says the sides need to listen to each other. We need to sympathetically listen to people who disagree with us and try to find areas in which we can, can agree. And then we start to build a bridge to divide the chasm. At the same time, West says, winning a primary is one thing. But to win in November, you have to talk to voters about issues they care about, crime, inflation, and taxes. And most voters in Maryland aren't interested in relitigating the 2020 presidential election. And if that ends up being the main issue of our party's candidate for governor in the fall, I think he's going to find he has a difficult time winning. I think he needs to address the issues which are most on the minds of the voters of Maryland. And if they don't, Wes says, he'll have a hard time supporting his party's candidates. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News.
0: Cases of COVID-19 are on the rise across the US. BA5, the latest mutation of the SARS-Omicron variant, makes people with the disease more contagious than previous strains. But just how contagious is it? Dr. Lena Wen is a leading public health expert. She's a former health commissioner of Baltimore and author and teaches at the George Washington University School of Public Health, among many other roles. She joined Midday Host Tom Hull for the health segment this week where she said we've
1: actually seen this strain before. We've actually seen this playbook of BA5 before. So let's look at the original Omicron BA1 back in December and January. There was a huge surge of cases, followed by a lull. Then we had BA2, another surge of BA2. Then we had BA2.1.21. And then we had BA4, and now BA5. Now BA5 is 65% of all the new variants here in the US. And I give this history, we've all lived through it in recent months to remind us that this is our new normal, as in for the foreseeable future at least, we're going to see these surges followed by relative lulls. And the key here is that as long as we have decoupled for the most part infections from severe illness, Then we're able to live with COVID-19. I mean, let's think back to before vaccines were available. We really only had masks and social distancing as our tools for for keeping alive, for for safeguarding um, one another. And that's why we really had to implement these strategies when hospitals became overwhelmed. We were talking about flattening the curve, and we only had these very blunt tools that wrecked a lot of havoc, I mean, and also um, caused a lot of difficulty in people's lives to not be able to see loved ones, to forego celebrations and, um, and weddings and funerals and so forth. Well, the entire point of vaccines was to decouple infections from severe illness, and we have been able to do that.
0: So how do we know if we are fully protected against contracting the latest COVID variant?
1: There's a technical definition and a what I would say is more of a common sense definition. The technical definition, so the CDC still maintains that being fully vaccinated is two doses of the mRNA vaccine or one dose of the Johnston-Johnson vaccine. CDC also has another definition, which is called being up to date on your vaccine. And you're up to date on your vaccines if you have received the recommended number for your particular age group. And so for people 50 and above, you can now receive those two initial vaccines plus two booster shots for a total of four vaccines. If you're 50 and under, unless you have um, severe immunosuppression or moderate immunosuppression, you can receive the two vaccines plus one booster dose. Now, um, in terms of, I mean, that's what is recommended. I would say there's also a Um, a common sense recommendation, if you will, and that's actually one that the White House COVID coordinator, Dr. Shisham said, which is that if you are 50 and older and you have not received any kind of COVID vaccine this year in 2022, then you should go ahead and get a vaccine now. I think that's a good way of thinking about it. If you're 50 and under and generally healthy, It's still, it's definitely a good idea to get your first booster, but you're not eligible for that second booster at this time. For those 50 and above, you should be getting those two boosters, but you really should make sure that you at least have one booster and should have a recent booster. And the reason is we know that the vaccine plus the booster provide really good protection against severe illness. The protection against symptomatic mild illness or asymptomatic illness declines over time. And there are some people who might say, well, I don't really care about getting asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic COVID. But this this is the reason why though getting that, um uh, getting that booster this year for people 50 and older is important because that additional booster still protects you very well against severe
0: illness. When it comes to monkeypox, Dr. Wen says she recognizes there is a lot of fear and uncertainty about contracting it. But she says that disease is also not new and you can protect yourself because of the way it spread.
1: It's something that we've known about for for a long time. We've actually known about monkeypox, I believe since the 1970s. So this is not a new virus. We have two vaccines that are developed um, that um, one definitely works against monkeypox. The other is likely to, that was developed against smallpox and likely works against monkeypox. We also have antivirals that are available. We have testing that's available, all very different than at the very beginning of COVID when we didn't have any of these things um, readily available. The other thing about monkeypox that's very, Very different from COVID is that it is spread through direct and prolonged contact with someone. It's not spread through aerosols that you can get through casual contact. We're talking about individuals exchanging body fluids who are in very close contact with one another. Um, also, the people who tend to be infectious are people who have active blisters and rashes and these blisters are then oozing virus. Um, and then if, and uh, and so if you are rubbing that area against somebody else, somebody else could get monkeypox. Or if you have a, um, a towel or bed, bed linen um, and that touches those lesions and somebody else uses them right after, somebody could get monkeypox that way. But a very different route of transmission than breathing a virus um, that you could get from, from somebody standing six feet away, as in the case of, of COVID.
0: To hear the full Midday Health segment with Dr. Lena Wen, you can go to wypr.org. Mm-hmm. Some Baltimore City public schools will have a new start time this coming year, creating a headache for many parents. School officials say the changes are needed to combat the continuing national school bus driver shortage. WIPR's education reporter, Jakana Collier, reports.
3: 93 public schools in Baltimore will have new bell times when school starts in August. Dr. Lynette Washington, chief operations officer for Baltimore City Public Schools, said the decision is a result of the national school bus driver shortage. A bus analysis showed that efficiency was a problem for BCPS because some buses had just one route in the morning and afternoon. Washington said that over a thousand students eligible for transportation services were not assigned a bus route at the beginning of last school year. At the end of the last school year, we had between two to 300 students that for the course of the entire school year did not receive transportation services as required. And so that led us to say, what do we need to do with the system in order to ensure that every child is provided the appropriate transportation service, Students must be eligible to receive transportation services from city schools. Eligibility can vary from students with IEPs, those experiencing homelessness, and students who live more than a mile and a half from their school. The majority of middle and high school students use public transportation to commute to school. According to Dr. Washington, the schedules of 10 schools will change by an hour, with just one changing by an hour and 30 minutes. About 36% will have a 15 minute change, and a small number of schools will adjust their start time by a half hour or 45 minutes. The decision was based mainly on not a lot of options and not a lot of choices. We have to get all of our children to school and accommodate all children that have transportation service needs. We can't just do it with a subset of the population. We have to address all of our students. 44% of school schedules will not change this coming school year. Washington said she understands parents' frustration because it's a significant change and many will have to readjust schedules. Sandrine Smith is one of the frustrated parents. She has two children in city schools who are not eligible for transportation. She said her family will be impacted by the new bell schedule. There's no way I can have both students at school at 8 a.m. So it's going to have now that my son, because he's the youngest, his time is going to be less because I'm gonna have to pick him up from school early mm-hmm. in order to shoot 25 minutes to get to my daughter's school to pick her up on time. Smith added that the new schedule throws off the dynamic of her household. City Schools Chief Operations Officer Dr. Washington said the school system announced the new schedule a week before school ended to give families enough time over the summer to express concerns and so city schools could figure out the best way to support them. She acknowledged that alerting parents that a change was coming before the announcement could have helped the situation. For many parents, the biggest concerns are childcare, children getting to school safely and on time, and getting enough sleep. Dr. Amy Wolfson, adolescent sleep health scholar and professor of psychology at Loyola University, Maryland, said adolescents and school-aged children need a minimum of eight and a half hours of sleep. The idea school bell start time is 8.30 or nine o'clock for most adolescents. Wolfson said the reason adolescents need more sleep than younger children is because they experience circadian phase delay. What
0: that basically means is one's actual biological clock tells the adolescents that they're sleepy or ready to fall asleep later in the evening and later, and then waking up later in the morning than
3: prior to the onset of puberty. Wolfson said that the early morning bell times are a problem that started in the late 20th century and that prior to the 1980s most schools in the country started at 8 or 8:30. So we're actually asking teenagers to do
0: something like you know say take calculus at 7:35 in the morning when we as adults would never could never do our best at any job.
3: That's Dr. Washington up. said city schools did consider research on sleep health when creating the new bell schedule, but had to make a difficult decision. She said while city schools will start the academic year with a limited number of bus drivers, the goal is for all students with transportation needs to have bus assignments for the first day of school. I'm Jakana Collier, WIPR News.
0: The Daily Dose is brought to you by WYPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Many thanks to my News Team colleagues Rachel Bay, Shekinah Collier, Bethany Raja, John Lee joel mccord and Kristen mossbrugger our general manager is lafontaine oliver the executive editor of the daily dose is danielle irby if you have a scoop or suggestion for this podcast my social media hangout is twitter at that's pam jones so remember to be courageous and stay curious i'm pam jones thanks for listening